we welcome Dr. Bruce Lipton. This has gone crazy because you're blaming the virus when it's the weakness of the patient that is the cause of the problem. And then I go, weakness of the patient, I go, yep, start right off with diet number one. High fructose corn syrup, industrial farm toxic food, lack of you know supplements, vitamins, minerals, because the food doesn't provide it. And then on top of that, put a picture of fear. And then you've got the syndrome. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Thank you for pressing play today. Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today's episode is with the brilliant, world-renowned cell biologist, the author of Biology of Belief, Dr. Bruce Lipton. We are going to get into the cell membrane. The innate intelligence sits within that cell membrane, not necessarily your DNA. It's the membrane that communicates with the DNA. We're going to talk about that and why scientists had had it wrong for so long thinking that the intelligence of the cell is in the DNA. That's not true. We also talk about fear. Stress and how stress, and think about stress. There's three different areas of stress. Mental, emotional, that's one area. Physical, that's the second area. And then chemical, that's the third area. When your body is in a chronic state of fight or flight, stress, it's the fastest way to wipe out your immune system. And he's going to share a really stunning analogy of patients going through a kidney transplant procedure and how that relates to stress and the immune system being wiped out. One of my favorite parts about this episode was when he spoke about your thoughts. The average person is thinking 60,000 thoughts every single day, and you become what you think about most of the time. That might sound a little woo-woo to people, but wait until Dr. Bruce Lipton explains the science behind it, how your thoughts are frequencies that penetrate your cell membranes and actually communicate with your DNA to produce proteins. We talk about the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, epigenetics versus genetics, energy psychology, what's happening in the world, what's going to happen next, and so much more. This episode is actually a repeat from last year. And out of the 300 plus episodes we've have on the, had on the Keto Camp podcast, this is one of my all-time favorites. And I thought, this would be a good time to bring it back because I have been studying Bruce Lipton like I always have been doing over the years. But this weekend, I went a little bit, little bit deeper and I actually got into some of his work speaking about fear. And uh, I wanted to share something real quick with you that I think will make a big difference before I bring Dr. Bruce Lipton on the show. You know, finally, medicine, conventional medicine is kind of starting to catch up with what Dr. Bruce Lipton has been sharing for so many years, which is an amazing article that came out that talked about the social life of genes. Day by day, week by week, your genes are in conversation with your surroundings. Your neighbors, your family, your feelings of loneliness, they don't just get under your skin, they get into the control rooms of your cells. And there's a quote from this article that made a big difference for me when I heard Dr. Bruce Lipton read it, and I'm going to share it with you right now. Here's the quote. That's a really important part of this, to an extent that immunologists and psychologists rarely appreciate. We are architects of our own experience. Your subjective 
experience carries more power than your objective situation. That's probably one of the most profound sentences that I've read in my entire life. I'm going to read the last part over so you really could grasp what I just read. I'm going to unpack it real quick because it relates to the conversation we're going to have with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Your subjective experience carries more power than your objective situation. What's your subjective experience? That's your experience that is influenced by your thoughts, your feelings, your environment, your actions, and also your beliefs. Subjective is is what you think about something. And this carries more power than your objective situation. Now, what is your objective situation? Well, objective situation is what's happening based off of fact. It's not influenced by your feelings, by your beliefs, by your opinions. So if you were to kind of rephrase that with the terminology that Dr. Bruce Lipton uses, the sentence would now read, your belief carries more power than your reality. How powerful is that statement? You listening right now are in control. You are the master of your destiny, not the victim of your history. We're going to get into this a little bit more. This episode is going to change your life. Uh, I, I believe it. It changed mine. And Dr. Bruce Lipton is absolutely brilliant. Before I bring him on, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Chris, my go-to podcast for all things keto. I've searched for and tried out a number of other podcasts on keto, a good number of them pod faded, but KetoCam quickly rose to the top and is now the only podcast I listen to on the subject. Ben and his guests talk about a range of topics that fall into his subject of living a keto lifestyle from fasting to inflammation, and they do it in an easy-to-understand way. This show is also very consistent in putting out episodes to keep me going on my journey. He also does other events throughout the year to complement his podcasting efforts and has helped foster a community around his lifestyle. Way to go, Ben. Thank you, Chris, for that stellar, amazing review. I so appreciate your acknowledgement. I'm so grateful that you chose us, the Keto Camp Podcast, to be that go-to resource. There are a lot of great podcasts out there and a lot of keto podcasts out there, but it's rare for specifically keto podcasts to have the consistency and longevity that we've had, and we're really proud of that. New episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on this show. I mean, and I don't really know many other podcasts that are doing that. We put a lot of effort, and it's not just me. It's Rachel, who does all of the professional notes of every podcast, including this one with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Go look at all of the detailed notes and links down below. We have Ian, who's my podcast sound engineer. And then we have Cameron, who's putting together the videographic trailers and the image graphics with Repurpose House. I mean, we have a big team here, and we're committed. We are going to do whatever it takes to educate the world. So for you listening right now, thank you. Chris, thank you for leaving that review. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. Before I bring on Bruce Lipton, I do want to remind you that my upcoming detox program, Heavy Metals Detox Program, it's a 90-day program where I get to guide you and teach you true cellular detox. We have currently, at the time of me recording this, nine spots left. The first coaching call is at the end of this month, February, but as soon as we get these nine spots, we're going to close it out. So if you want to learn more about it and potentially join me, we only, we only do this three times a year, head to ketocampdetox.com, camp with the K, ketocampdetox.com, and you can learn about it, and hopefully you are one of those nine spots we have left. Okay, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Bruce Lipton is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. A stem cell biologist, best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and recipient of the 2009 GOI Peace Award, he has been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences. Dr. Lipton has taken his award-winning medical school lectures to the public and is currently a sought-out speaker keynote speaker, and workshop presenter. 
He lectures to conventional and complementary medical professionals and lay audiences about leading-edge science and how it dovetails with mind-body medicine and spiritual principles. Here's Dr. Bruce Lipton. Bruce Lipton, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. I am delighted to be here with you, Ben, and I also am delighted that we have a wonderful audience out there that are seeking uh, information on their own health and their own empowerment, uh, stuff that uh, the corporations are not really interested in uh, offering you uh, because um, they're on a different mission than we are. <laughs> to put it lightly, absolutely, and you have been instrumental in my work in my research over the years when I started to get into the cell membrane and this wonderful world of the membrane, this lipid bilayer, I could just totally geek out on it and I have geeked out on it with your work. And I, first question off the bat is, why did you want to get involved with cell biology and why did you focus so much on the membrane of the cell? Okay, A, because of, I got involved with biology the first time I looked into a microscope in grade school, and saw an amoeba and a paramecium go through the screen. And as a child, you know, we're always the small one and everything's bigger. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, there's this miniature world in there with these things. And you could see that they weren't just bouncing around like a pinball. They were, you know, go over here, check something now, back up, go over here, check something out. And it's like, oh, they got, they, they're little people. That's what I thought the first time, you know, and it's, it's not actually like people, but little beings in a world. Uh, and that was always intriguing to me, that world that was invisible. And I ended up being not just a regular microscopist, but an electron microscopist and saw the world that no one had ever seen. When I would go to work every day and look at things in that electron microscope, it would be like Star Trek in reverse. Instead of going out, it was going in and going into a world that people have never seen. And so I, every day in my life was like, hey, this is research. I go, no, man, this is exciting. I can't wait to go into work because I'm going to, I know every day I'm going to see something that no one's ever seen before. And so that was exciting. And then I started uh, cloning stem cells and a, a little, you know, sidebar so people know when I saw a stem cell. Yeah. Uh, first understanding is this when we look in the mirror, we're not a single living entity. We are made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. Bruce, Ben, we are communities of cells, okay? And each community has its own characteristic, but the fact is a body is a, is a functioning community in 50 trillion cells, and every uh, minute we lose millions of cells by aging, dying, you know, damage, millions per, per minute. I go, what does that mean? Well, I say, at the end of the day, you, you've lost hundreds of billions of cells every day. I go, well, how long can you live? And I say, well, if you couldn't replace those cells, life would be very short and quick. <laughs> but the fact is, somehow or other, we always stay where we are. And I go, why? Because amongst our 50 trillion cells, and many of them are uh, embryonic cells meaning capable of replacing any piece that was just lost. Uh, it can become brain, skin, muscle, bone, whatever, embryonic cells. But it can't call a cell in a, an adult human an embryonic cell, so we change the name, stem cell. So a stem cell, and then people are concerned, well, what about my stem cells? I go, if you're still here <laughs> and we're talking, you got stem cells <laughs> because you wouldn't be here without them. So, you know, easing people's minds because then all of a sudden, do I have the stem cells? Will I heal myself? Can I buy some stem cells? I go, you already got stem cells. <laughs> so the nature is I got into those stem cells and, and I was teaching medical students the story that the general population still holds that genes turn on and off and in the process control our character, physical, behavioral, mental behavior, genes. But when I was cloning the stem cells, uh, and cloning means I put one cell in this by itself and it divides every 10, 12 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, and it doubles and doubles. And after a week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish, the most important point, all cells are genetically identical. They came from the same parent. So I have you know, 30,000 genetically identical cells, and I split them up 10,000 in each of three dishes. So all Petri dishes have identical cells, but I change the composition of the culture medium. Chemistry, that's what we do in the lab. I make culture medium, that's the environment. And by slightly changing the chemistry of that culture medium in each of the three 
culture dishes and, and one dish in environment A, the cells form muscle, and the second dish with a second culture medium environment B, the cells form bone, and then the third dish again with a different environment C, the cells form fat cells, and it's like, wait a minute, the expression of the cells is not controlled by the genes, they all have exactly the same genes, whether it's bone, muscle, skin, or whatever it's supposed to be, is controlled by signals from the environment. Now we take one more step and then it's like, and it goes like this. I say, we, as I mentioned, are actually skin covered Petri dishes with 50 trillion cells inside. What is culture medium? Yeah, that's the step. What the hell is culture medium? The chemistry, well, what am I doing? Culture medium is the laboratory version of blood. So I make a culture medium that represents blood, but in the lab, I could change a little bit of the chemistry. So I had three different A, B, and C environments. And I go, so why is it relevant? I go, your skin covered Petri dish and you have the original culture medium, originally blood. Mm. I go, so why is it relevant? I said, it doesn't make a difference if the cell is in a plastic dish or in a skin covered dish. It's still responding to the influence of the blood the culture medium. So I say, oh, so inside my body, I have 50 trillion cells, but their fate is being controlled by the chemistry of my blood. And then we take two steps and boom, step number one, well, who controls the chemistry? And I go, the brain is the chemist. Step number two, the big one. So what chemistry should the brain be putting into the blood? And here's the answer. Whatever vision we perceive in our mind, the function of the brain is to translate that into complementary chemistry. So that if I hold a picture of love, then the brain releases chemistry that uh, mediates the experience of love, happiness, joy, health, and all that. But if I'm in fear, the brain doesn't release love chemistry. Now it releases fear chemistry, which uh, interferes with my immune system and my growth and maintenance of the body as I prepare to run from that tiger. So I go, so why is it relevant? And the answer is this. The picture, bottom line, the picture in your mind controls the fate of your genetics and your biology. Change the picture in your mind and you change your biology. And all of a sudden it says, oh my God, we're not victims of our genes. Genes don't control us. We control our gene activity by how we are creating life in the world we perceive. And I go, change your perception, change your biology. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, here we are teaching everybody they're victims of genes that run amok and give them disease. And the truth is completely opposite is we control the genes. <laughs> and, and just a, a fact, less, I'll emphasize, less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. Wow. 90% of disease is stress-related. And so in other words, oh my God, it's called self-destruction, I go. Yes. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, I find myself here in, in the keto group. Why? Because I also learned during the process, I'm making culture medium. That's what we do. We make blood in the laboratory. If I compromise the ingredients, if I get an ingredient from Kmart and stick it in my precious culture medium, the cells will start to get sick. Why? Only the highest and best quality ingredients do I use in a laboratory to make the culture medium, blood, that I grow cells in. If I compromise that in any way, the cells get sick and will die in the culture dish. And all of a sudden it says, oh my God, we're creating our culture medium. I go, yeah, and what's the foundational basis of it? <laughs> the foundation of the culture medium, I go, it's coming from nutrition. <laughs> and then I say, and what about the chemistry that's in there? That's informational chemistry. I say that comes from the, the brain and the mind. So both the brain and mind and the raw ingredients to make a culture medium are essential in manifesting health. And what I have learned and what I personally experienced was, oh my God, I was poisoning myself with uh, carbohydrates. <laughs> and inorganic, 
industrial chemically farmed food. And I was like, oh my God, I'm trying to create culture medium from this crap. My cells would have died if I put that stuff in the culture medium. And so I gravitated ultimately to uh, get into the understanding about the keto. And it's really so important because it's in a sense, the complete opposite of the conventional belief is that don't eat those fats and lipids. It's like the brain is white. It's an organ that is white. Liver is red and muscles are red and bones, whatever, but the brain is white. I go, why? Because it's almost all lipid, <laughs> it's all fat. And I go, oh my goodness, if you compromise the diet on those fats that are instrumental in making a cell membrane, which is the information processor of a cell, then you've thrown a monkey wrench in the brain of the cell. And the, the failure uh, of eating proper lipids uh, and, and I'm blaming them is sort of like, oh man, that, that message took you away from health and said, don't eat those lipids, eat margarine. I go, that's the worst cotton, that's the worst lipids. You know, I say, no, you, you're misdirecting the public. And, and, and I'll give you a very interesting fact. In the U.S., we supplement farmers who grow corn with government money. Mm -hmm. Why? Why should we give farmers money to grow corn? Answer, it reduces the cost of the product. Corn is cheap. And I go, why? Because the farmer is getting money to grow it anyway, you know? And I go, but why would the government encourage this? Oh my God, <laughs> simple story. They make high fructose corn syrup from corn, of course, as a substitute for sugar. It's a sweetener. I go, yeah. Oh, we were told, oh yeah, the, this is good sweetener. It's not sugar. I go, oh, really? And then what do I find out? Is that a scientific experiment. They fed rats sugar in one group, real sugar, and they fed them high fructose corn syrup in the other group. I go, yeah, and what? I said, <clears throat> then they assessed the ability of the rats to have learning and memory experiences. And guess what? The high fructose corn syrup impaired memory and learning. Sugar did not. And I go, it impaired learning. And I go, yeah, and memory. And I go, wait a minute, who's getting the benefit of all this high fructose corn syrup. Well, it's cheap. Why? The government paid for it. So you can put it in all the cheapest food that the poor people can afford. I go, so they're eating this as sweetener. Yeah, how many cans of soda a day are they drinking? Every, even health products got sugar and stuff in it, but when it has corn syrup in it, I already can tell you from the experiment that it is an interference with neural processing. And so the poorest people are eating what? The food that can't get them enough knowledge to get the hell out of the hole that they're living in. Mm. Because every day they're taking in so much of that high fructose corn syrup, they're knocking themselves backwards in regard to uh, consciousness and awareness. And I go, yeah, the government's real happy with stuff like that, why? I use a quote in my lecture from a, a Michael Moore movie called Sicko. And if you haven't seen that movie, for those people out there, boy, that's an oh, eye-opening movie. And I say, but what's the quote? And I, it comes from a British member of parliament by the name of Tony Benn. And they were addressing the issue uh, about health. And he stated flat out as a member, former member of parliament, he stated, Governments do not want a healthy, intelligent population because they're difficult to control. Mm. And then I have to say, look, I'm an old guy. I'm in the mid-70s out there, you know? And I go, so what? And I say, well, I remember a long time ago, the U.S. was number one in good things. It was number one in technology. It was number one in education. It was number one in infrastructure. We had super highways and other ones had dirt roads. We were way out there, man. We were post-war, boom, number one, health and intelligence. And I say, well, let's look at those factors today. How healthy are we? 
Well, in Western nations, we're down about number 30 or more, down to some countries you don't even want to be compared with. <laughs> and intelligence-wise, it's gone. It's gone. Look, QAnon exists. What does that mean? It's like, the Earth is flat. <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> you know? Uh, and I go, so what, what's the relevance? I say, the mission that Tony Benn talked about seems to have succeeded in the U.S., taking us from the number one of the good qualities, uh, leaving us with number one of most prisoners in a prison, uh, things like that, most shootings and mass shootings. Uh, these are wonderful number ones. But what about the good ones? Intelligence and health and all that, no longer. And all of a sudden I say, oh my God, it wasn't just a suggestion by the government, it was an intention. Mm -hmm. And the intention is, yeah, we're stupid and we're unhealthy and we'll follow any damn thing the leader says. And I think that, to me, is personally an anti-evolution situation, since I'm a biologist, biologist promoting evolution. The, the system we're in is a, a case of devolution. So, and yet, even with what you said, and people understand that, still a lot of people still trust the government, which is ridiculous. But I want to get back to your masterful breakdown of the thoughts, and I want to get this right. So when we think thoughts, let's say it's a negative thought. It's a fearful thought, a toxic thought. It's got a picture, too. It's also got a visual picture, doesn't okay. it? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like fear, maybe like war, maybe like a fighting or whatever it is, some sort of negative picture. Yes. When I think that thought, that's a negative thought, it sends sound waves that penetrate the cell membrane that, or that connect to a receptor site on the membrane. And it's not just sound waves. It says ener energy frequencies. Okay, frequencies. are received by antennas called receptors, proteins that are receptors, but they re a receptor is an antenna. Mm -hmm. It reads, receives a signal. Right. Conventional people say, oh, receptors only respond to physical things like pharmaceutical drugs and stuff like that. I go, no. Receptors, if you understand the nature of quantum physics, respond to energy vibrations. Mm -hmm. And a thought is an energy vibration. So therefore, the cells translate a thought, energy vibrations, into a process from the receiver of the thought into the production by the cell of a complement behavior to what they saw. Okay? Uh, they give a reflex of just a simple reflex understanding is this. You walk outside and it's cold out. The skin receptors pick up temperature, it's cold, adjust the biology, heat up the system, keep us warm, working at 98 degrees. Oh, oh, step outside when it's hot out, the skin receptor picks up the information, it's hot, changes the function of the body to perspire and cool off the system. So I say, so the behavior of the cell was controlled by genes? No, absolutely not. It's controlled by the signal and the environment, yeah. the program. And all of a sudden I say, why is that relevant? Because all of our biology by definition is a reflection of surviving in an environment by reading the environment mm -hmm. and adjusting the biology to stay alive in that perception. And therefore, then comes the problem. Well, what if you have a misperception reading the environment? I go, well, now you have a mistake in the biology because the cells don't see the real world. The cells inside your skin depend on your nervous system to see and interpret the world and then send the signals to the cell so that the cell behaves in an appropriate way to survive in what you just saw. So Got the it. point is simply this, if you see the truth, then your biology is in harmony with the world. But if you see a false story, then by definition, your biology is no longer in harmony with the world. Mm. And these receptor sites, these integral membrane proteins, they sit on the membrane, which is a lipid bilayer. They don't sit on it, uh, Ben. They sit, they're in it. They're called in integral, it. meaning uh, the protein isn't above or below and just resting on a membrane. It's built into the structure of a lipid membrane. So they're integrated into the membrane, and that membrane allows good things in, bad things out. And those good things could be nutrients, oxygen, those frequencies, hormones. So when you're talking about the thoughts, I want you to break down and explain exactly how those thoughts, those frequencies actually communicate to the DNA to, to produce specific proteins that could lead to disease. Okay. Well, number one is this. Let's start with the fact that I, my eyes are closed, and when I open them up, I see something I love. 
my mind has a picture of love, the hearts and the strings and so on. It's beautiful. I say, the mind has a picture. What does the brain do? Translates that picture into complementary chemistry. Like what? First thing is, when you're in love like that, that's a pleasure. And dopamine is a hormone released by the brain, goes into the blood, goes to the cells, and, and engages them in a sensation that this is pleasurable, that this is good. Okay? That oxytocin is released when you're in love. That's the one that says bond to the source of that love. And so that then adjusts the nervous system to recognize that individual I'm getting love from is the one I want to bond with. So that's a chemical control. Oxytocin is chemical bonding. Quickly, another one is a growth hormone. Well, what is that? I said, it says what it is. It's the hormone that promotes growth. I go, that is released when you're in love. And I go, and guess what? When that hormone goes through the system, it upgrades the system to be as healthy as it possibly can. And so growth hormone is promoting vitality. I go, what do you think happens when, a, when people fall in love? Uh, they glow, healthy. They're healthy. They're happy. They're, you know, they're in a different world. I go, what controlled that? I said, growth hormone. Why did that come out? Because the image of love is an image of harmony and growth. And so I will now manifest a body to match that picture. So I said, okay, cool. So the chemicals that were released in love are things that enhance vitality, pleasure, love, you know, bonding, all those things that constitute what love is all about. But I said, wait, you open your eyes and you see something that scares you? You don't release chemistry of love and bonding and hormones, you get chemistry ready for protection because that's a scary thing. So I said, oh, that's a whole different chemical release. What do I release? Well, I release stress hormones. And I go, well, what are they going to do? I said, the stress is based on the fact that something is threatening you according to your mind. A stress is something that says, oh, that, could, that could threaten me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to protect myself. I go, so what does that mean? wall yourself off. Why? <laughs> Being inside a wall thing is protection. I go, and what else? I go, well, here's how it works. The general from ancient history <laughs> of, of fear is a saber-toothed tiger chasing you. So we'll use that as the tiger is coming after you, okay? I say, what would you do with a picture of a tiger in your mind is chasing you? What would you like to do? Run like hell. Yeah, man, I'm gonna get out of there. I said, what, what part of the body do I use for running like hell? I say, arms and legs. I go, oh, then wait a minute. When there was no tiger there, the chemistry we talked about in love is growth and happiness and vitality. But when the tiger's coming, it's like the hell with growth. I need to run away from this thing. So I said, well, what does that mean? It says, Stress is like that, allocate energy for escape. What, allocate energy? I say, energy's in the blood. I say, yeah, but what do you mean allocate? I say, well, if I, my body's doing something that's not helping me escape from that tiger, that I don't need to do that right now. You know, like grow. That's how much of my energy is in maintenance and cleaning and taking care of the body and keeping it healthy. I say, a lot of energy. I say, but when a tiger's coming, I don't need to grow. Because if the tiger catches me, there's no growing anymore anyways. That's irrelevant. So basically it says, well, then I shut down growth with what? Stress hormones. It says, don't do that energy. Take the energy that you're going to grow with, put it into the blood that runs to the muscles so you can get the hell out of here. I go, yeah, that's true. So the first thing of fear, stress, it shuts down the growth of the, me the mechanism. Why? Allocate energy to run away from that tiger. I go, oh, you know what else uses massive amounts of energy? The immune system. I go, what do you mean? I say, well, have you ever been sick? You get so weak that you, that you can't get out of bed sometimes. Ah, well, why can't you get out of bed? Because you don't have energy. I say, yeah, where's your energy? The immune system uses lots of energy when it's engaged. So I go, well, what if I have a bacterial infection and a tiger's chasing me? I go, well, think about it. <laughs> Should I fight that bacterial infection, use that energy, and take it away from running? I said, why? Is <laughs> it the hell with a bacterial infection? If the tiger catches you, bacteria are not your problem anymore. <laughs> so basically, huh? 
stress hormones shut off the immune system because it uses too much energy for an internal problem versus I need the energy for the external tiger. So I go, in fact, it's so good at shutting off the immune system stress hormones that medical doctors give patients who are going to receive a foreign transplant, a heart, a lung, whatever they're being. I say they give the patient stress hormones before the operation. I go, why? Because it's a foreign organ. If you put that in your body, the first thing your immune system's job is to do is to eliminate it. So how do you prevent that elimination? Give the person stress hormones and the immune system is inhibited. I go, oh, it's so effective at shutting off the immune system is used therapeutically. So I go, oh, okay. So I say, okay, tiger's chasing me. Picture in mind, I'm going to die. What do I got to do? I got to move. Okay, shut down my growth and maintenance. Why? Conserve that energy because I'm going to use it for the muscles. Shut down the immune system. Yep, I'm going to use that. Uh, You know, I don't need to worry about bacteria if I'm going to be eaten by a tiger. So uh, we shut that down. And then there's a third problem that I I refer to as adding the insult to an injury you already have. And I say, what is that? I say, when the stress hormones come in, how do they shut off the immune system? The answer is stress hormones cause the blood vessels in the gut to constrict. Mm-hmm. I say, so what happens? Well, there's no more blood flow. Where's the blood flow now? Preferentially, it's going to the arms and legs because mm-hmm. the gut is not using it. So I say, yeah, uh, the, the, that's that queasy thing when you start to be afraid. The butterflies in the stomach is the actual valving shutting off these things. You can feel it fluttering, butterflies in the stomach. Uh, and I say, okay, cool. That's how the energy is transferred to run away. But then I said, in the forebrain, conscious reasoning and conscious thinking, when the stress hormones are released, they cause the blood vessels to squeeze shut just like the gut ones. I go, why? Because when the blood vessels in the forebrain are squeezed shut, the blood is preferentially sent to the hindbrain reflex reaction much faster than thinking. Because if you had to think about, oh, the tiger's coming. Well, by then the tiger's got you. (laughs) You don't have no thinking allowed. Now it's run like hell. And you are a speed demon going, not thinking, because if you're thinking that thoughts are slower processing than re- reactions, reflexes, okay? So I say, so three things of stress. A, shut down the growth and maintenance. B, shut down the immune system. C, shut down the intelligence of the system and operate on program. Run. <laughs> okay, and I say, oh my God, this is devastating. I say, But let's go back to when the system was designed. That was the tiger chasing you. Point was this. Once you escape from that tiger, 10 minutes of running and fear and living and surviving, and you escaped, you don't need the response anymore. And now you're back into health and growth again. But today's world, the proverbial tiger is there 24-7, 365. Will I make enough money? Will I have health care? Will I have this problem? Will, uh, you know, my partner leave me or whatever? Oh, you know, my job, blah, 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 blah. I go, my God, you're releasing stress hormones all the day. <laughs> that causes the weakness because you're not maintaining the body. It causes an inhibition of the immune system, opening you up to further infection. And it makes you less intelligent. I go, ha! Ah! Tony Ben, baby. That's yeah. what he was talking about. Right back to that. <laughs> How'd you do it? Just scare him. I say, and then I look at the world today with the fear of, oh my God, COVID is going to kill you. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. And I go, why is that wrong? Because it didn't say, uh, you know, like a small portion of the population can die. Everybody's going to die. That means, oh, me too? Yep, you're everybody. And so everyone's afraid. I go, what is physiology of afraid? And I go, stress hormones. <laughs> and I say, so what's the consequence? The more you're afraid, the more you're susceptible to having a problem. And the severity of it is how much you've interfered with that immune system. Stress hormones shut the damn thing down. So if you're under a lot of stress, your immune system is not up to the power to deal with this infection. But if you're not under that stress, 
and you have a good diet, and you have a healthy constitution, your immune system will handle this without any severe problem. So what, 80, 90% of the people that got infected with COVID never had it severe enough to see a doctor or to go to a hospital. But guess what? Now that they've experienced it, they have already created an immune response to protect them, okay? But if you try to wall it off, like virus go away, it's like, are you kidding me? Viruses don't go away. <laughs> you know, they're here. Yeah. You have to get stronger. Don't wait for the virus to run yeah. away. The fact is, yeah, it's a horrible situation. The number of people are dying is, is sad. <laughs> it's a, calm, a small word. It's infuriating. And, and, we, and we say, oh, it's a damn virus that is virulent. And I go, 80 plus, 90% of the people <laughs> survive this with no problem at all. It's 10 to 15 or so percent of the people that are profoundly affected. I say, why are they so weak? And the answer is, they're not healthy. Their system is not healthy. They have what is called comorbidities, overweight. 78% of the people that were taken into hospitals with COVID, 78% were overweight, okay? Then there's, oh, but there are other things. Yeah, stress. Yeah, how many are stressed? How many are already compromised from what? A, overweight. B, poor diet, which is not supporting their vitality. Issues of belief issues, how much fear they're living in and all that, and I start to recognize there is a portion of the population that is very susceptible and uh, it, it could be lethal. But that's a small percentage of the population. We want every, oh, take that kid. Before it was like, kids are not gonna get the vaccine. Now it's like, no, kids have to have the vaccine. It's like, oh my God, this has gone crazy because you're blaming the virus when it's the weakness of the patient mm. that is the cause of the problem. And then I go, weakness of the patient. I go, yep, start right off with diet, number one. High fructose corn syrup, industrial farm toxic food, lack of you know supplements, vitamins, minerals, because the food doesn't provide it. And then on top of that, put a picture of fear. And then you've got the syndrome. That was well said, uh, a masterclass on what fear does to wipe out the, the immune system to create disease in the body. I talk a lot about the nutrition component. We talk about ketosis and fasting strategies. So I don't want to talk too much about that. I want to talk more about what are some other ways we can, other tools we can use on a daily basis, Bruce, to reprogram the mind from that fear, that fight or flight, to more of that loving, building, uh, abundance mindset. What are some practical things we can do starting today? Well, the first thing is recognize knowledge is power. But then I, everybody goes, yeah, yeah. And I go, no, no, wait, let me put it in another way that may be more homey for you. And I say, a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And we have been systematically deprived of knowledge of what's going on to the extent, and this irritates me no end, especially being an American, quote unquote, scientist, to find that. I can't have an opinion if it doesn't agree with the, the central people over there in Fauci land. That if I offer something different, they're going to censor me. Censorship of science? Well, that's the end. <laughs> now all of a sudden we're back into some religious autocracy that says, do it because that's what I, I say. And if you say it different, I'm going to burn you at the stake as a heretic. And it's like, what? <laughs> so a manipulation is occurring right now and it's so unfortunate because it's the wolf in sheep's clothing it's like oh we're here to help you the pharmaceutical people we're we're here to help you i go bs belief system or whatever i say why because the the pharmaceutical company isn't here to help me it's here to help them <laughs> and i go why and i say first of all by law what do you mean it's a corporation. I go, yeah, yeah, but there are laws. I say, the first law of a corporation is that the corporation is designed to provide a profit for the shareholders, law number one. If a corporation doesn't provide a profit for the shareholders, then it, its validity is, uh, you know, in question at that moment. So I go, so what's the function of the pharmaceutical industry? Make a profit. 
I got, is there a function to help me? Well, it, it's nice, but if we can make a profit, we'll do that too. We'll sell you statin drugs to control your cholesterol. And I go, why? Well, cholesterol is evil and bad. I go, really? You cannot live without cholesterol. <laughs> and that cholesterol is a very important part of the nervous system of the cell, the membrane. And I say, and it turns out that dietary cholesterol has nothing to do with cholesterol inside the body. Dietary cholesterol is outside of the body. The system takes in what it needs and wants. And when we short cholesterol because of the fear that, oh, that's where cardiac problems come from, I can tell you personally that is completely, really, real BS for this reason. Part of uh, my research, I did uh, some postdoctoral research at uh, Penn State University. Um, we were working on uh, atherosclerosis, cholesterol. And the question was, is cholesterol the cause of atherosclerosis? First question, because everyone says wherever there's a plaque in the circulatory system that interferes with circulation, that plaque, the cells are filled you know, with cholesterol. So they said, ah, see, the cholesterol's in the evil plaque. So stop eating the cholesterol. Well, here's an experiment. <laughs> we took rats that were, that were used in a laboratory for studies of, of atherosclerosis and plaques, and we put so much cholesterol, lipid, into their blood that their blood was not even red anymore. It was whitish pink. There was so much fat. And I go, and I say, and when we put that much cholesterol in the rats, guess what? They ended up with atherosclerosis. Oh, yeah, just as we said, cholesterol did that. And I go, no, wait. Because the second part of the experiment was put in an antihistamine with that cholesterol, and guess what? No atherosclerotic plaques. I go, so what was the point? Histamine is a stress-responding chemical. And when you put in an antihistamine and knock out that stress, there's no atherosclerosis. The cholesterol showed up after the histamine induce the problem. And that by just taking over-the-counter, uh, it's called an H2 blocker, you can block the effects of blindness from diabetic retinopathy. You can block the effect of uh, distal limbs, fingers, and toes and stuff from their problems. And the reason is this. The uh, antihistamine uh, shuts down the stressor element. And without the stressor element, these effects don't occur. Blindness doesn't occur, loss of the digits doesn't occur. And I say, why well, was irrelevant? Everybody, the cholesterol. And I go, uh-uh, it's the histamine, <laughs> which is what? Stress-related. So it's, again, then atherosclerosis is not due to cholesterol at all. And I go, yeah, I'll tell all, all those people taking statin trucks. <laughs> I go, why? Because they think, well, I'm protecting my life by taking a statin drug. Fact, figure, fact. Less than 3% of statin users actually have an advantage for taking statin. 97% of statin users have no benefit, in fact, uh, have a greater risk of complications by taking statin than they get benefit from their issue with their circulatory system. What was the point? That's all BS. Statins had nothing to do with this issue. And yet, billions and billions of dollars every day are spent on a drug that we now know doesn't do what it says it does. <laughs> and, but psychologically, that's where it has a benefit. I'm taking this, so I placebo, I'm going to get better. And that's a positive thought, okay? But outside of that, physiologically, no effect. And you know, here's another one. Statins, 3% of the people, 97% of statin takers have just wasted their money and opened themselves up to, you know, side effects. Okay? You ready for another one? Big yeah. One? Let's do it. <laughs> Prozac and other SSRI drugs like that 
are no better than a sugar pill in laboratory tests. <laughs> that it's all actually recognized to be placebo mediated. It has wow. no physiological influence. But why is it such a damn good placebo? Because you tell those people who take Prozac that that's not working and they'll go, are you kidding me? My life is so damn much better and all that. I go, where did that result come from? You ready? A conventional placebo is a sugar pill. You take the pill, it's strictly your belief that that pill is gonna heal, and it does. It does. Placebo effect is one third to two thirds of all medical healings is placebo effect. Okay. So I go, yeah. So uh, uh, taking a drug like that, it's just your mind that says, I took the drug. That was the new thing that was going to heal me because that's what the doctor said. Okay. And I go, well, what about Prozac? I go, well, it's a placebo, but guess what? It's got side effects. I go, yeah, you can feel it in your body it's something is going on and i go so why is it relevant i said a sugar pill you put it in it's only the belief that enhances that healing but you take a prozac put it in it's not just a belief it's like oh i can feel it's working amplify the placebo effect boom right away because it's not just in my mind i can sense something mm. and all of a sudden you say yeah and that's the effectiveness of uh, the prozac and ssri drugs and it's like it's a great placebo because it put that little side effect in there that gave another indication of acti activity action. That is so fascinating. So on the conversation of stress, what percentage of disease, Bruce, is contributed from chronic stress? What percentage of disease? Uh, apparently, it's up to 90%. Up to 90%. And there's three different types of stress, right? There's the mental, emotional, the physical, and the chemical. And right now, more than ever, we're bombarded by all these stressors in our life. And you just explained how it affects the body physiologically. So it was once believed that the intelligence of the cell was in the DNA. And with... <laughs> I know. Not once. J just talk to any person <laughs> on the street. Almost yeah. <laughs> everyone still right. is of that belief. And uh, yeah, and your, your work was actually a pioneer and it still is for people to understand it's actually within the membrane. So how do you if, you, if you meet somebody in the street and they say, oh, what are you talking about? The intelligence is within the DNA. What, what is like a two minute spiel you can have to actually help them understand this? Uh, basically, it comes down to this. What is DNA? Answer, it's a blueprint used to make the proteins, which are the building blocks of the body. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so uh, it's strictly a blueprint. A DNA is read, and then the message from that DNA is then translated into the complex structure of a protein. There are 100,000 different proteins. Uh, and it's interesting because when the Human Genome Project got off the ground, of course, the thinking was it takes a gene to make a protein. I have 100,000 different proteins. I must have 100,000 genes. And that was part of our genetic theory. We also were programmed with the belief that genes turn on and off by themselves, but it turns out, no, a gene is a blueprint. I go, so why is it relevant? I said, go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint. You ask her, is your blueprint on or off? I said, look at you, what are you talking about? It's a blueprint, there's no on and off. Precisely, a blueprint can be read or not read, but it doesn't read itself. There is no such thing as a gene turning on and off. That is a misperception that has been carried to an extreme, because if you believe that genes turn on and off by themselves, then you believe you're a victim of your heredity. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick them, these genes, as far as I know. I can't change them if I don't like them, and then they turn on and off, and I have nothing to do with it. I'm a victim. So the first thing is this. A gene is a blueprint. It can be read or not read. The reader is the brain and the mind. And that determines it. So as you change your perception of the world, you change your genetic activity, okay? And the bigger monkey wrench into the whole damn thing was, well, if there's supposed to be 100,000 proteins and each protein requires a gene blueprint, then how the hell do you explain there are only 20,000 genes? There are only 20,000 genes that make 100,000 proteins. Like, our belief from the foundation was wrong that I can make all these proteins, 100,000, but with only 20,000 genes, that meant we missed something big. <laughs> and that big part is this, is that as a gene is a blueprint, the mind is the architect. 
And an architect can take any blueprint and, and take a pencil and cross it out and change the door and put a new window and do whatever the hell it wants. That's what the architect uses the basic blueprint, but then can modify it. And the new science that I got involved with 50 years ago was recognizing that the architect is the environment, that organisms respond to the environment, adjust their physical structure and behavioral structure to stay alive in that environment. Change the environment, then you change the activity of the genes once again uh, to create a different response to that environment. So as we respond to the environment, we are continuously altering our genetics based on that. Now, the problem is, of course, if you respond to the environment in fear, <laughs> uh, then you are, are, are you know, not supporting your health and vitality. You're supporting, I need to get the hell out of here. And that is a different biological mechanism than growth. Running and, and health and harmony are not always the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's the big issue. So the simple point is this. Genes do not turn on and off. That's a fact of science. They're blueprints. They can be read. The reader of this is the cell interacting with the environment. So the cell will adjust itself to what it perceives. And then the problem is, well, what if it perceives an unhealthy environment? And I say, well, then you're going to create an unhealthy body because you're going to be a complement to that environment. And all of a sudden I say, so what is the ultimate bottom line conclusion of all of this? You have been programmed to believe you are a victim of your heredity with genes turning on and off and ultimately controlling the character. It turns out that belief is totally false, that genes do not turn on and off, that genes are regulated by our consciousness, which is interpreting that environment, and that all of a sudden finds the weak point. And I go, what is it? A misinterpretation, a misperception can be translated into a body and a misperception, a body responding to a misperception by definition is not in harmony with the real environment mm. because it's in harmony with a, an environment. The cells don't see the real environment. They only see what you are sending to them. So that's why two people in the exact same environment, because they say environment controls epigenetics. I go, yeah, but here are two people in the exact same environment. I go, their biology could be totally different. One could be in love and the other could be in fear in the same place. I go, so what was the point about this? <laughs> it was not the environment. It was the interpretation of the environment that controlled the consequences. So two people can be in the exact same environment and have different interpretations and therefore have different responses. And all of a sudden you start to see, oh, none of the genes are based on my interpretation. I go, yes, they are. And that's when programming and all that comes into the system. Yeah. Am I pro programmed to be vital, successful, healthy, and happy? Or am I programmed to be disempowered so I'm weak and other people can take me? And I go, more the latter. Mm. Yeah, there was that, there was that um, experiment done on fleas where they put them in this box for, I, I believe, for 24 hours. Hundreds of fleas in this box. So they were just flying around, flying around, but they were conditioned to believe they were stuck there. After 24 hours, they removed it. And they were still flying in those same patterns. They had they had uh, offspring that still remained that that same pattern because their environment conditioned to be conditioned them to be stuck in that pattern. Uh, and this is true for for humans. And right. uh, it was possible for twelve generations from the first parent who experienced uh, craziness made a response, adjusted their genetics epigenetically, mm -hmm. passed on that instruction to their offspring which then have a behavior that was programmed by their parent and will respond to it like a reflex and then pass it on to their offspring. And all of a sudden, guess what? A behavioral pathway exists uh, that was actually created by the first one. Yeah. But epigenetically carried through, uh, apparently now, I think the, the last count was like, it can be up to 12 generations. Wow. So real quick before, because we're running out of time, how do you feel about affirmations, gratitude journaling, gratitude in general to help reprogram to the side of abundance and love versus fear? The biggest problem of, of, uh, of changing a program is to recognize the program is in the subconscious. The subconscious is a habit mind, habit. And I go, but what does that definition mean? It means to learn something and then we'll keep that program going and going and going. That's a habit. I go, so the problem is, how do you change a habit? And all of a sudden you realize, well, there's only three ways to change a habit. 
Uh, the first two are the natural ways that you created the habit, and the third is a new version, something called energy psychology. So what's the point? The point is the subconscious mind is not open for randomly changing a habit. It wants to hold on to that habit and keep it. It will resist change as much as possible. So therefore, trying to use the conscious mind with wishes and desires, I wish it was this way, the subconscious doesn't even hear that, doesn't even care. And I say, oh, well, if you want to change a habit, then you have to, the two fundamental ways is the first seven years, your brain was in a state of theta, which is hypnosis. And so uh, self-hypnosis, which is possible by putting earphones on at night before going to bed, playing a program of something you want, because the moment the brain's function goes below consciousness, the next level of activity is theta, so that your brain just went to sleep but your subconscious is still open. And so when you put the earphones on, the discussion is not going into the conscious mind, it's going into the subconscious. And you repeat that, okay? But that subconscious uh, activity uh, theta uh, ends uh, as a predominant brain state around age seven. I say, but you still learn things after age seven. I say, how'd you do that? Practice, repetition, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, okay? And I go, well, this is where the problem of um, uh, affirmations or sticky notes and stuff like that comes. I go, because that is not a habituation process. A sticky note is a suggestion. Oh, I shouldn't eat the donut. Okay, cool. Okay, but it's not a habit. And therefore, just putting that on with the idea that if I see that, it'll change my subconscious. No, you have to make a practice of repetition practice a new behavior, it becomes that way. You didn't play an instrument and you want to, just because you pick it up, it's not going to play, man. You have to practice, practice, and practice. And then there's a point where it becomes habitual. Now you can play without thinking about it, okay? So uh, if we want to change a behavior, whether it's playing an instrument or uh, driving a car, or whatever you want to learn, you have to have a repetitive practice that's why I say the sticky note is not a, a repetitive practice. It, it, oh, yeah, yeah, I walked in the bathroom and there was on the mirror. And I was okay, great. That didn't, that didn't make habit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it's a, it gives you a direction you want to go. If you want to use that as a foundation to make a habit, that's cool. Okay. Uh, and then lastly, a new form of psychology called energy psychology has come about, uh, which offers an opportunity uh, of something that I would refer to as super learning. Uh, what's super learning? I say, well, maybe you see somebody who could read a book by just taking their finger and moving it down the page. As fast as they moved that finger down that page, they read every word on that page just that fast. That's how fast the subconscious is, okay? I say, so why is it relevant? Well, what if you can engage super learning, but use it to change a program? I go, ah, yeah. Self-hypnosis, earphones, habituation practices, these are time-consuming repetitions, okay? But energy psychology, once, and the hardest part is to find out what program you want to have, <laughs> and the hardest part is creating that statement that you want to be a program because the wording is so critical. Mm -hmm. But once you have that level of, this is what I want, you can reprogram in, in matters of minutes using energy psychology. So there's a whole variety of them. I got on my website maybe 25 or so different uh, modalities listed as energy psychology for rapid belief change. And necessity being the mother of invention, we, the world's in a state of necessity. We gotta change our behavior because our behavior is causing an extinction. <laughs> and yeah. if we wanna not go extinct, then it's us that has to change the behavior, not the planet. Yeah. And, and so, Interesting enough, uh, the requirement of a rapid change in behavior has led to the evolution of these energy psychology modalities, which can be found very simply, brucelipton.com. Uh, a wonderful new website with all kinds of free downloads of everything from videos to audios to written articles, and including, which I just want to emphasize, uh, something new we just added, it's called the community page. And the community page allows those people that are getting into this stuff to communicate with each other. Awesome. Uh, and so that uh, a person that has found a success with diet 
can offer that to the community say this is what i've been trying what are you trying and it's the dialogue that holds the community together and community is evolution so um brucelipton.com great resource yeah we'll put that down in the in the notes brucelipton.com uh bruce you have been such a wealth of information not just on today's show but in general to the world you are a blessing you are a gift I want to send you love. I want to thank you so much for your energy, for your brilliance, and thank you for coming on the show and sharing with me and the Keto Campers. You have been wonderful, and I love and I appreciate you very much. So thank you so much, Bruce. And Ben, let me just throw this back at you. Thank you very much because you are the imaginal cell out there getting other people around in the community to awaken to new ideas and a new world because this is the only way out is to change the consciousness. And but changing that consciousness, keto, as I own, as I know personally, is profoundly important because living on that really that wonderful keto diet that said I could eat all the things that I was told I couldn't. I want that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I also found that I was the happiest and had more energy and felt better that I was in the in a, you know going in the right direction and nourishing the the blood which is the controlling factor of the cells. And so thank you for that. And thank you for your audience, because these are all people that are looking for a better answer and you're giving it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that incredible conversation with the amazing Dr. Bruce Lipton. Please share this episode with a friend, text them the link right now, post it on your social media, and please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.